We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charge podcast. We have our uh, inaugural debut of the live edition of Charters Analytics with Arjun. I am the host, of course, Stephen Haglin here. Uh, and joining me is Mr. Arjun himself. Man, Arjun, how are you doing tonight? Um, I'm doing very well. This is, you know, we're doing this an hour, pretty much an hour 15 before kickoff, the inaugural kickoff of the season. So really excited for that. Um, going out with you know some of my friends who are you know Tage and stuff who are big football guys to watch it. So really excited for that. Really excited for like our first live edition of this. So have a lot to get through and definitely you know really excited to be talking with you again. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna have uh, a jam packed show tonight for our first uh, edition. We are gonna talk about the latest injury updates. Arjun's gonna have a a uh, great little presentation that he has prepared in order to kind of scout the Las Vegas Raiders, of course, this week's opponent, which we'll be doing every single week. Uh, and then we will have uh, Arjun's favorite bets of the week. Uh, that's league-wide bets, not necessarily just uh, about the charter. So excited to dive in there. This is going to be happening every single week when possible. Um, next week, obviously, when the Chargers are playing on Thursday night, we will not be doing this. Uh, so Arjun's going to have his usual pre-recorded um, analytics segment that we will upload as a separate video. So other than that, we're going to do this as, as much as we possibly can uh, throughout the season, you know, schedules permitting. Um, Arjun's still doing his thing up in college, you know, working around uh, that schedule. And of course, my schedule, uh, you know, here in California. So that being said, let's dive into this. Like I mentioned, we are going to uh, first talk about 
the latest injury updates surrounding the Chargers uh, opponent. Of course, we have to start there with J.C. Jackson. It's been a bit of a roller coaster this week in regards to the news surrounding uh, his ankle surgery. Um, he is out of a walking boot, running around. Uh, Jeff Miller said today that he was sprinting from locker room to training room, which apparently was a funny sight to behold. Um, there was an initial report that he was not expected to play this week. However, Brandon, Brandon Steady, when asked about that, said he was not able to confirm that report uh, and gave that uh, comment with a little bit of a smirk. So, uh, Arjun, where are you at with JC right now? Do you expect him to play? Do you think he won't play? Um, and then, you know, of course, we'll talk about, you know, what kind of this does for the defense. But first and foremost, do you think he plays? I don't think he plays. I think um, I think it was funny seeing Staley like smirk at that at that comment. We were kind of joking about it in our in our own private chat. Um, but I, I don't know. I think the way the Chargers have proceeded with stars and injuries, I think they'll play it safe and just bring him back. I don't even think for the Chiefs game or like hopefully for the Chiefs game, but I think more realistically is going to be the Jaguars game. Um, the joke we were saying is like last year, Justin Jones was a game time decision for week two. <laughs> he was day to day uh, after that week one injury and he ended up missing seven weeks. So, I mean, the, the Chargers for years under Staley, under Anthony Lynn have been one of the tightest organizations in terms of not letting news leak and they're pretty like tight with uh, they run a pretty tight ship with um uh how they operate in terms of like what they say to the media and stuff so i would really uh, even though staley's pretty honest and open to the media i would kind of just rely on whether he plays or not and not really the media reports and we can kind of get into his impact because i was for some reason bombarded with hate yesterday but i <laughs> i have my reasons for why i sent my tweet yesterday and so yeah absolutely we'll, we'll dive into that um obviously him sprinting today as jeff miller put it is certainly good news about his overall well-being i i lean towards him not playing this week you know we've seen like you mentioned in the past this charters regime under brandon say to be uh more cautious than not when it comes to injuries and i know this is not necessarily like a typical ankle injury that he could re-aggravate you know this is more about him kind of dealing with the surgery and the incision and the stitches and everything like that so he could certainly play but i i lean towards them being cautious and holding him out um and like you i i do think we see him make his debut against the jaguars so um you know let, let's dive into of course his impact on and off the field i think you know we we've all kind of tweeted some thoughts here but um, how much does this change how you feel about this game in terms of JC potentially missing? Of course, you're starting Asante Sama Jr. and Michael Davis and Bryce Callahan at this point um, if he is out. So what kind of impact do you think he has ultimately on this game, of course, uh, by not playing? Yeah, so um, I want to I wanna just like quickly actually like share my screen because I did like I did have something that I wanted to show if you can put that on the screen. Um, but okay. So you can see my screen now, right? With the yep. picture. Okay. So this is, this is Rams 2020 when Staley was the defensive coordinator. So as you can see, this is Jalen Ramsey. And this is what I think JC Jackson would be playing. He's the lone corner, the lone guy on the, on the weak side of the, of the formation. And so, you know, when you're the weak, when you're the lone guy on the weak side, you're kind of in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And I think this is like Freddie Swain. So it's not, this is DK and that's like Lockett. So he's not really guarding anyone special, but 
JC is the type of corner where you just stick him alone on an island and expect him to win his job more often than not. And I think when you lose that, you kind of lose the um, type of uh, you lose the play calling that comes with having a JC Jackson. You're kind of shutting your playbook down a little bit more. And as I've alluded to multiple times on Twitter, um, you have to switch to more zone now because you can't rely on a guy like Michael Davis or Asante to hold up against good route runners like Devonte and Renfro more often. So, you know, these examples where you kind of just see Ramsey all by himself, this is what JC would be. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as much as I, I'm hoping for a Michael Davis bounce back here or Asante, you know, coming back to full health from his concussions, it's it's tough as, as uh, someone who like watches the team to kind of, presume that and i don't know for, yeah. for some reasons even i had way too many people bringing up the 2019 packers versus chargers game oh michael davis cl clamped Devontae adams okay what what about that game makes you think that's going to happen again three years later right it's just yeah. like it, it's you can't especially with something like as fluky as coverage or as unstable as coverage you can't be using the past to predict the future unless it's like literally like Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans where it's like okay we've seen enough games one yeah. game isn't enough to convince me so going from JC to Michael Davis is a, a downgrade and whether how significant it is I think that's that's tough to tell but what I would do like I said you play more zone and you kind of muddy the talent gap between the Raiders and the Chargers um, on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. And Staley has talked about, you know, their their reasoning beside, uh, behind signing J.C. Jackson was that he changes your math, right? So you can leave him one-on-one -on, -one on whoever your number one receiver is, in, in this case, Devontae Adams, and, and you have uh, confidence in him uh, being able to hold up one-on-one -on -one and shadow him and, for the whole game, pretty much. And so um, if you have J.C. Jackson against Devontae Adams, that allows you to uh, send reinforcements essentially to Darren Waller, to Hunter Renfro, or of course, you know, whoever the other receivers might be. Now you, you might be able to leave Bryce Callahan one-on-one -on, -one on Hunter Renfro, but you have to divert as much as many resources as possible, in my opinion, towards Devonte Adams, um, you know, being able to, you know, shift coverage over the top, double teaming him, whatever the case may be. So it, it's a, definitely a change, right? Like the Chargers will have to adjust. I think if there's a silver lining, they it, it's that they haven't had like this it didn't happen this week, right? Like they've had three or four weeks essentially at this point to prepare for you know playing a game without JC Jackson. So um, we'll see. I trust Bryce Callahan against Hunter Renfro. I, I obviously trust Derwin against Darren Waller. That's not going to be the whole game though. So they're going to have to adjust and and play with a different kind of math without jc jackson so in regards to michael davis and the the packers game i think if you really go back and look at that game you see a highly productive pass rush output from melvin ingram and joey bosa and we all know that that of course impacts the secondary so i don't put nearly any stock in michael davis against Devontae adams in 2019 because of how productive the pass rush was that particular day yeah totally agree so, of course, the other injury here to monitor, I'm a little surprised that kind of just the lack of uh, progress here. And that's Donald Parham and his uh, hamstring injury. He has been off to the side, not practicing. Of course, this is definitely not as impactful as J.C. Jackson and not potentially not having him. But I do think this, again, kind of changes things um, with how you're going to construct your game plan against the Raiders, who I think are... are particularly weak up the middle of that defense and not having Donald Parham be able to 
stretch the seam vertically and be able to be that red zone threat up the middle. I don't think it necessarily impacts their chances of winning, but I think having Donald Parham certainly makes it a little easier against the Raiders defense. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with your point that like, I don't think it impacts their like win probability too much, especially since he's kind of tied in too. But we did see the Chargers struggle in the red zone to start the year last year. And, you know, Parham's probably one of the best red zone weapons at the Rays in the NFL. So, um, you know, probably one of the key points of emphasis is you got to put up seven when you get to the low red and especially yes. against a team like the Raiders, who we really don't know how good or bad their offense is going to be. You need to be able to take advantage of a lot of those um, opportunities in the in the red zone. Um, but but maybe without him, we, we see the Chargers transition to more running the ball down in the low red, especially with how bad the Raiders interior is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've heard uh, Brandon Slee talk about Angelo Lombardi. Both have talked about the impact that Sony Michelle is going to have on this game. Uh, and Tyler and I both, you know, really wanted to see how the running attack, the rushing attack was going to be constructed this week. Um, all right, let's uh, let's dive in here, Arj, into your uh, report essentially on the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, again, this is uh, the whole idea here is to be a little bit more active, so interactive. So if you guys have a question about what Arjun is talking about, feel free to you know ask it in the chat. We're not going to answer all of them, obviously, but um, if something is just kind of not clicking for you, we will take it, and then I'll have some thoughts as as Arjun is uh, doing his presentation as well. So, uh, all right, Arjun, floor is yours, man. All right, so just to quickly preface what I'm going to show, basically I kind of created a weekly game plan. Um, everything is automated and everything is with um, public NFL data. So if you guys wanted to make these charts or, or pull these stats up, it is possible uh, just with some coding um, knowledge. And um, this isn't exactly something that's a finished product. I plan to add to it throughout the year um, as you know more data comes in and as we get a better picture of what teams are. And again, this is like, it's more of like a public tool. This isn't something I would necessarily present to coaches. I'd definitely like improve it a little bit more if I had more time, but obviously with the time constraints of being in school and, and having other priorities, um, this is definitely something that I wanted to put together for you guys. So um, we're looking at uh, opponent scouting for the Raiders. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of switch between um, just to make sure you guys are able to see everything. So if I do that, okay, perfect. So first thing, we're going to look at a breakdown of offensive personnel packages from 2021, uh, the regular season. So as you can see, the Raiders ran 11 personnel about 60.8% of the time. Um, you know, I think that it's tough to really evaluate, evaluate the Raiders in general, just because they have a new offensive staff. They have a new defensive staff as Steve and alluded to in his previous episode on Tuesday. So even though the Raiders ran 11 personnel, 60.8% of the time, in New England, Josh McDaniels ran 11 pers personnel only about 53.4% of the time. Um, and the Raiders did run a little bit more 12 personnel. As you can see, the their yellow bar is a little bit bigger than the, the Patriots yellow bar, but the Patriots did run a lot more 21 personnel than the Raiders did. And I'm, I believe the Patriots did, or the Raiders did sign Jakob Johnson to their fullback role. So um, this is a pretty simple graph. I know it's a it's a lot of information on here, but any any main takeaways you have from this, Stephen? Uh, I'm very curious to see what Josh McDaniels does here because I know he has um, the two really good tight ends. You know, you're talking about Darren Waller and of course Foster Moreau. Um, I don't really trust the Raiders' receiving room after Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams, of course. So 
Um, it, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense for the Patriots to, or not the Patriots, the Raiders to come in with Josh McDaniels and run a very similar distribution in personnel packages because of who they have just lean right into Hunt Darren Waller and Foster Moreau. You know, Foster Moreau has been, uh, you know, a breakout pick. I feel like the last two years and, um, John Gruden has really not leaned all the way into the two tight end looks. And now you have Jakob Johnson as well. So. To me, like if you are, you know, constructing game plans around a team with a weak offensive line, I think you want to live in 12 in, um, I guess that would be 12 personnel. Yeah. Um, with the two tight ends with the fullback. So I guess that would be 13 if you want to count the fullback there. So um, a lot of people are kind of assuming that the Raiders will just come out in 11 personnel because that's what everybody's doing these days. And, you know, you have these great weapons, but. I really think we could see the Patriots or not. I keep on saying this, man. I'm so used to McDaniels being in New England. Um, but I, I think we could see the Raiders come out and surprise a lot of people and play a lot of two tight end sets, fullback sets, yeah. and uh, really help that offensive line out. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on to the Raiders' defense from last year. So did a quick breakdown of the of their defenders in the box and how many plays they ran with each defender. So as we know, last year, Gus Bradley covered three, a lot of single high stuff. So a um, decently high amount of seven defenders in the box on all plays. Uh, so this is looking at, at run and passing plays. Um, but then when we transition to the Giants, we see a little bit more um, six defenders in the box. And obviously now they have Patrick Graham who's coming from the Giants. So it, it's tough to really evaluate Graham because the Giants were playing from behind a lot of the times, which means Graham probably had to um, add an extra defender in the box more often than he wanted. And we know he kind of hails from the Fangio Staley scheme with how much too high he plays. But it is, you know, there is a little bit more of a peak in the six defenders in the box than there is seven for the Giants. Um, so I did want to investigate this a little bit more. So I broke it down by run and pass for defenders in the box. So when teams passed the ball in the Raiders in 2021 under Gus Bradley, um, it was pretty much like Gus Bradley, when he knew that the offense was going to pass, he took that extra guy out of the box. But when he knew it was like first down or on a known run play, he did add that seventh guy in the box more often than not. And then looking at it from Patrick Grant's perspective, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to Gus Bradley's, but you can see the peak is much higher um, for six defenders in the box on pass plays. But where he differs from Gus Bradley is he still maintains that light box um, strategy um, even on run plays, because as you can see for, for Gus Bradley, a little bit higher of a peak on seven defenders in the box for run plays. With Graham, it's a little bit more even between six and seven defenders. So um, any any main takeaways here, Stephen? Yeah, I think the key thing for Patrick Graham's defense in this regard, right, is you know he had Xavier McKinney in New York. And Xavier McKinney, I don't think he's necessarily like a John Johnson level kind of safety, but he's probably pretty close to that kind of safety. So, you know, I interviewed a, the Raiders report, reporter, uh, Evan Grote, yesterday, and I kind of asked him, like, is that going to be uh, Jonathan Abrams' role? And he said that Abrams probably not even starting. It's going to be Deron Harmon taking on that Xavier McKinney role. So, again, just very curious if that's going to lead to more linebacker play because he doesn't have that kind of safety to fill that Xavier McKinney role or, or what happens there. I mean, they worked out Jamie Collins this week. So the the whole Patrick Graham experiment is going to be very interesting. Like you said, played a lot from behind last year as well. So um, how much is he a Patriots guy? How much is he going to be his own thing is obviously going to be something to watch throughout this whole season. Yeah, I agree. And again, apologies for some of the title 
uh, sizes. It's it's kind of difficult, kind of like getting everything <laughs> in one report and to make it all fit. But I think I did my best. So, um, next thing we're gonna go back to the offense, how the Raiders perform. So before we looked at the percentages, now we're gonna look at the performance out of each personnel package. And I also included this pass rate over expected. So to quickly explain it, basically, pass rate over expected means given the situation of the game, what is the probability that the offense passes the ball? And if they do pass the ball, it's one minus the probability. And if they run the ball, it's um, basically the probability times negative one. So um, this can let us know how predictable or how unpredictable the Raiders or opposing offenses are um, in in certain personnel packages. So last year, the Raiders' best personnel package was 21 personnel. They ran it. Uh, they ran 109 plays out of it, average about a 0.05 or 0.04 EPA per play, which isn't that great. Um, and they were they weren't that predictable. They did run the ball a little bit more than expected. Um, out of 21, out of 11 personnel, they were not that great. Average about 0.01 EPA per play. They did run about 760 snaps, so that was like like I mentioned before, their primary uh, offensive personnel package, and. Um, they did like to pass the ball a little bit more than expected out of this personnel. I think that's that holds true for most teams. And, um, you know, you can kind of see the breakdown for some of the other personnel packages. They were pretty awful out of 22 personnel and pretty <laughs> predictable um, when they did run 22 personnel as they passed the as they ran the ball about 16 percent more than expected. Yeah, John Gruden, not a big uh, fullback two tight end kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So I um, wanted to just quickly apply it to the Patriots. Also, uh, Patriots ran a lot of 11, and they were quite successful at it. Average about 0.15 EPA per play, which is pretty good. That's about like a, a at least a top 10 offense in the league. Um, and, you know, they, they did run a lot of personnel that weren't the main five that I, li- I listed here. So a lot of, I guess, 10 or one personnel where it's, uh, which just means four receivers and a tight end. Uh, but weirdly enough, when they did run that, they were pretty predictable and they ran the ball a lot. So I'm guessing it's a lot of jumbo stuff. Um, so it's pretty interesting. So um, I, just like the Raiders, they were pretty crappy out of 22 personnel. But I think that holds true for a lot of teams because when you're in yeah. 22 personnel, you're running the ball a lot. So naturally, you're not going to be that successful in gaining expected points. Um, but but yeah, I think we'll see a lot of 11 personnel from the Raiders because you know that's what that's something that Gruden did a lot of in New England, something he was pretty successful at, and he was he mixed it up a, a decent amount. So um, this yeah. is looking at the Raiders and, and Patriots from last year. Yeah, jumbo packages you're not super efficient because you're generally going for like one or two yards. So yeah, um, yeah. that's definitely there. I, I'm curious because it sounds like Matt Collins is like their third receiver. I mean, yeah. T. Billy's also going to get a lot of burn there apparently as, as kind of the deep threat. So I don't know really how, I mean, you have Adams and Renfro, right? But I, I can imagine it being more successful than the Patriots last year, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I just don't know if I would personally like live in 11 personnel without having an established number three receiver at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's going to be wild what they do on, on Sunday. And I am curious how they handled that um, third receiver. Um, so going on, so next, I kind of just wanted to look at Raiders personnel in general. So I'm going to zoom out. That should be a little more. There we go. So um, just, just looking at like which players played in each personnel from last year. Again, this is the type of data that I really want to see 
this with this season's data, I think it's kind of like irrelevant irrelevant with last season, especially with Zay Jones sure. gone, Deshaun Jackson gone, Ruggs gone, pretty much, you know, Drake gone. Um everybody so, except for Jacobs, pretty much. And yeah, Renfro, so obviously. The, the the reason I included this, like if I was presenting this to a coaching staff, I would be saying like, oh, okay, if um, you know, Foster Moreau comes on the field and we can kind of expect them to play a little bit more 12 personnel and um you know there's, there's just formation tendencies you can pick up with this um I, you know it's it's not too much to be gleaned from it but i thought this was a kind of a cool way to to present who played the most in what personnel like you know renfro when they went when the raiders went 12 he was you know as the slot receiver he didn't play as much as a guy like brian edwards even though yeah. Renfro played a lot more in, in 11 personnel so some interesting takeaways definitely something you probably want to pause on and, and read if you're more interested in this kind of stuff but um, just a pretty standard table here. Yeah, absolutely. I, Arjun, I don't know if you have this up right now. Uh, we had a super chat question yeah. from uh, Matt about what defenses do Carr and Herbert have success and struggles against? Um, I know that Herbert versus cover three was like absolutely incredible last Killer. year. Um, yeah. But off the top of your head, or if you have this, uh, do you know what coverages those two players have uh, struggled against? I don't off the top of my head. I definitely would say DM me on Twitter at ArjunMenin100. I can give you a website that updates literally this question every week. Right. And you can look at it from 2021. So make sure to DM me at ArjunMenin100 and I can get you that information. But I don't have that off the top of my head. And I do want to kind of continue with this. So I'm yeah. yeah, um, looking at the, the Raiders out of each offensive formation. So. Um, kind of, I guess, ignore the Wildcat. Uh, that's probably not going to be something of importance. But uh, Raiders last year, their most successful formation was empty. Um, you know, pretty predictable. Obviously, you're going to throw a ton of out of empty. Um, they did run 89 plays, and they averaged about 0.06 EPA per play. So, again, not that great, but it was their best performing formation. Um, did run most of their sets out of jumbo and or out of a shotgun and single back. And uh, the interesting thing is when they did go single back, they were pretty predictable. Like they ran the ball a ton out of under center. And I think this is like one of those things where, okay, if I'm telling the coach, like, okay, if they line up under center in single back or I formation based on last year's data, they're going to be running the ball more often than not. So I think this is something that's pretty, um, pretty interesting. And again, you can pause the screen and look at how they performed and how predictable or unpredictable they were. Yeah, if you have heard Brandon say they talk about uh, kind of what happened in week 18 last year, you know, he he's talked about why he called timeout on that very last play. And it was because the Raiders came out in the single back formation and they felt like they had to get into a certain formation to counteract that. Um, so this is this is definitely something that I feel like, you know, a, an organization would be talking yeah. about in this kind of instance. I hope so. And I know the Chargers have some pretty smart people doing analytics for them. So. Um, you know, just quickly doing go, going about the Patriots, um, you know, they, weirdly enough, their best per, uh, formation was Jumbo. So uh, I don't really know how. Maybe they just converted all of their touchdowns in the red zone. I, I believe Damian Harris did <laughs> more like 15 touchdowns or something last year. So that's probably the reason. But, you know, very predictable out of Jumbo. Very, very predictable out of I formation. So basically, like, I'll put it to you guys this way. Like, if – if you see the Raiders line up under center there, it's most likely going to be a run. And if they line up out of shotgun, it's most likely going to be a pass. And I feel like that's true for a lot of teams, but you know, that's, that's just one way, you know, I think it's, it's cool to be thinking about football. And if you're watching with your friends, you can kind of like, you know, say, Oh, I'm predicting, uh, 
I'm predicting a run and you can look pretty smart. So yeah, uh, again, you can pause the screen to look at the, the best performing formations, but the Raiders or the Patriots last year under Josh McDaniels were pretty good out of shotgun. Yeah. And um, I feel like a lot of that too could be, you know, Mac Jones being a rookie, you know, making things a little easier for him being in shotgun out as opposed to being under center. Yeah. Okay. So um, really quickly, just going back to defense, I should have included this at the top, but I'm just looking at some pass rushing numbers. The Raiders on average sent about four pass rushers, which is a Gus Bradley special. <laughs> Weirdly enough, Patrick Graham was a little bit less. So they oh. ranked 31st under Graham in average number of pass rushers. And they, they did blitz at a little bit of a higher rate than uh, Gus Bradley did. Of course, he's going to rank last. Um, so, you know, we can expect the Giants to, or the Raiders this year under Graham to blitz a little bit, but not anything like overwhelming, which we've seen Her Herbert struggle with a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And then going on to the Raiders, going back to the Raiders offense, I did want to, I, I posted this table about the Chargers. Um, people seem to like it. So I did recreate it for the Raiders. Um, and I think it is relevant. You know, it's not something we kind of have to like rely on Josh McDaniels offense. This is more of a Derek Carr stat. So they're really good at throwing the ball deep and over the middle, which again is, is kind of the, the case for a lot of teams. Um, they did pretty much add 20, about 25 points. Um, when they threw the ball deep over the middle, like most teams kind of sucked when throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Um, Derek Hart, you know, and it's not really a surprise to me, does very well throwing the ball over the middle, does not do as well throwing to his right. So, you know, if if he is targeting the right side of the field, that is something that I would hope the Chargers can take advantage of and, um, and you know, kind of put a stop to. He does do very well throwing the ball left. Um, and he, he had a lot of success throwing the ball in the intermediate range to the left side of the field. So, Stephen, any main takeaways here that you like, or is it just a, you know pretty standard stuff that confirms priors? I think that confirms priors. I feel like Derek Carr, whenever he has to throw to his right, it is um, he just doesn't like trust himself. I think you know working to that side. So, um, you know, again, I I feel like Devontae is going to be living on the left side of the line of scrimmage. So, uh, yeah. I guess that will also confirm priors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and then looking at the Raiders' top receiving weapons, so um, this is something that is kind of relevant. So Devontae Adams added pretty much 84 points as a receiving weapon whenever he was targeted last year, one of the most efficient receivers in the league when targeted. And obviously, I think with receiving uh, per target stats are important, but um, you kind of want to measure volume because volume is king in, in the NFL, especially – for receivers because you want to be able to see like who does well when they're targeted a lot and can like stay efficient. So Devontae, very good. Renfo, very good. Waller kind of had a down year, you know, usually this number is a little bit higher and, you know, Mac, Mac Collins pretty much added the same total EPA um, as Darren Waller in 2021, which is a little bit weird to say, but I guess Mac Collins was targeted in, in those like high leverage situations since he is more of a big body. And we'll get to Jacobs a little bit later in the rushing section, but yeah, we want the we want the Raiders to throw the ball to Josh Jacobs, um, and you know, going on to the Raiders like rushing efficiency by run location and the run gap. So the the left side of the graph is obviously when the Raiders run to the left side, and they are horrible. Like <laughs> they suck running the ball to the left side of their offensive line. They're actually pretty good running the ball to the right side of their line, and like. If huh. they when they ran between the center and the guard or the guard and the tackle last year, they were a, a, a positive team. Like they, on average, gained 
um, positive yardage, positive EPA on those plays. But when they ran the ball to the left side, it was it was not looking good, which is weird because Colton Miller was kind of their yeah. only good offensive lineman last year. But I guess he is more of a pass protector than he is run blocker, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And that's also surprising because I would I would consider John Simpson a better guard than Alex Leatherwood was last year yeah. too. So um yeah, that that's that's strange. You don't usually see that when you were running to the left side behind your best offensive lineman. Usually you see better performances than the opposite side. Yeah. Um, and then this is looking at the Raiders defense uh, by, you know, Raiders rushing defense. So when teams ran to the left side of the rate or when teams ran to their left side, so the Raiders right side, I guess this is unique in Gawkway's side most often. Um, they were they were pretty good or pretty decent running between the center and the guard, but they were pretty bad running elsewhere. Um, and weirdly enough, they were really they were pretty solid running the ball to Max Crosby side huh. outside of the tackle. So, uh, you know, not a lot of big takeaways here. I, I, the Raiders run defense was solid last year. I think they're going to be horrible this year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, their interior is pretty bad, but, you know, I'm always, I could always be wrong here. And the Raiders linebackers aren't like anything too bad. They're anything, they aren't anything special. But, um, yeah, I think yeah. the Chargers have to execute wherever they run the ball, which I think they can do. I don't know if you happened to see uh, Seth Walder's tweet the other day when he was talking about uh, run stop win rate, and uh, Bilal Nichols was like second to last, uh, yeah. lower than Jerry Tillery, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's there starting three techs. So that's gonna be a, that's gonna be an interesting one. Yeah, should be fun. Um, and again, we want Josh Jacobs to be touching the ball in <clears throat> in this game. No running back. In fact, no player in the NFL lost more points to their team by touching the ball than Josh Jacobs in 2021. This was the worst total EPA number out of any player in the NFL in 2021. Uh, You know, no rusher on the, on the Raiders averaged a positive EPA per rush. No Raiders were positive in general when touching the ball, which goes to the offensive line, how bad they were and how bad they're probably going to be, but also how inefficient their rushing attack was. So, um yeah that was that was pretty much their their offense there um and really quickly i you know i have to be a little bit time cognizant for myself but i do have a lot of these stats for the chargers Mm -hmm. um not not a lot of the uh like the tables about the players but a lot of the the general breakdown so this is like a great brandon silly graph you can see a lot of light boxes six men in the box (laughs) right um and then breaking it down by run and pass it's it's pretty similar like even when teams are running the ball against the Chargers he's still playing six-man boxes which in hindsight you know we can probably agree is not was not the best decision right no no not yeah. uh not with uh the defensive line that they had <laughs> yeah exactly um and then out of you know the personnel packages stuff so Chargers were really good out of 21 personnel uh, but again very small sample size compared to 11 and 12. it is encouraging this to see them average about a 0.127 epa per play out of 11 personnel and uh, you know with Brandon Staley with and how much Joe Lombardi threw the ball last year they did throw the ball um, about eight percent more than expected um, out of 11 personnel they were I guess like efficient enough out of 12 personnel but mm-hmm. would love to see this improve with with potentially like Gerald Everett being an upgrade over Jared Cook um, yeah I think just, 11 gets better too because Josh Palmer you know yeah, kind of takes a step forward probably. as well yeah um, and then out of each offensive formation shouldn't be too much of a surprise chargers were very good at a shotgun uh, average about 0.154 epa per play 
threw the ball more than expected. Um, I, I was curious, I was a little surprised why they weren't that great out of empty, but I think huh. part of that could be, um, you know, Herbert in his development, like he struggled a lot when he had to like make the read pre-snap. And when you're out of empty, you don't have the running back, like as a check down, you're kind of all by yourself and you have to like make that. And, and when teams take away that first read out of empty, you kind of like have to like, um, you kind of have to, what, what does Steven Ruiz say? You, you have to like, you, you don't try to say it. like, you have to like, you have to make something happen. I think Herbert sometimes gets so locked yeah. on his first read that he doesn't make plays happen like Mahomes or Josh Allen does. But that's that's something that, um, you know, he can improve on. And that's like the least I'm concerned about. But sure. Yeah, this is, the Chargers kind of lived out of shotgun and single back last year. And I don't really expect that, expect that to change. Um, and then I already posted this graph on Twitter, so I don't think I'm going to go too like deep into it. But yeah, throw the ball deep and over the middle. Yeah. You know, 20, pretty much added 24 points. Uh, simply by throwing the ball deep and over the middle last year. I mean, and stop running wide receiver screens to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams who run a sub four five. <laughs> or, yeah, sub four six. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Give those opportunities to DeAndre Carter or yes. Josh Palmer, please. And we have seen them run the jet sweeps a lot this preseason. So I am excited to see uh, how Carter is being used in the screen game, if at all, and the jet sweep game. Um, and then looking at the Chargers' rushing efficiency, I don't really think this should, this should come as much as a surprise. They were mm -mm. A they <laughs> were literally positive every time they ran left, and you know they were kind of positive when they ran right, but not that like not as positive. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Pipkins was a fine run blocker actually when he was playing last year, but but yeah, just just run behind Slater and Matt Filer, just do it for us, <laughs> right? Like we saw yeah. some of the best runs um, on the left side. Yeah, and Zion should definitely help this as well. Yeah. And then, uh, yep, last thing. So this is the breakdown of the Chargers defense. So when teams ran to the right side of their offensive line, they just they ate the Chargers alive. Um, so this does not really surprise me. I'm pretty sure Jerry Tillery lined up over yeah. the right guard more often than the left guard. So this was this is what I like to call like when offensive coordinators attack rookie corners. This is just like, let's just go wherever Jerry Tillery is. And <laughs> success so and i think teams did find a lot of success in this yeah you know you saw a lot of jerry tillery against zach martin a lot of jerry tillery against joel batonio you know stuff like that so um hopefully that's uh more of an austin johnson spot this year yeah so yep that was the that was the report um again not a finished product definitely going to be adding to it throughout the year and it's not going to be as lengthy because i'm not going to have to make it for two teams uh hopefully for, sure. for a large portion like with the chiefs it's just going to be using week one data and stuff so um you know it won't be as long but you know again i will probably be adding to it changing it up hopefully that was enjoyable but but yeah that was that was the uh, scouting report for the raiders mm -hmm. there we go that was fantastic stuff man and like you said you know once we're able to get more information on uh who's these teams are currently lots of coaching changes i don't expect the chiefs to be that much different from last year um <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> laughing at tyler's comment sorry um but yeah the raiders right now it's it's a bit of a, a tough evaluation so um hopefully you guys enjoyed that information uh we are going to wrap this up really quickly because i know arjun's uh, a little bit short on time uh arjun favorite bets of the week this week we are uh working on a potential 
partnership with a certain sports book. So we'll have a, a specific title for this and everything, hopefully in the future. Yeah. Um, but Arjun, your uh, top three favorite bets of this NFL weekend. Yeah. So again, I would advise to bet responsibly, first of all, and like I'm yes. not responsible for your winning or losing tickets. These are plays I have bet, but a lot of the bets I've placed have actually gone in my favor. So you're not getting the line I got, but I still think there's value. So first is Bucks minus two and a half. Um, I think Tom Brady comes out and and kind of just shows the world he's kind of in, back into it. I think the Cowboys don't have enough um, corners to kind of stop the Bucks receiving options. And the strength of the Cowboys defense is their edge rushers, but the strength of the Bucks offensive line is their tackles. And while their interior sucks, or won't be as good. The Cowboys interior might be even worse. So um, I like the I like the Bucks in this matchup. Number two, I like the Eagles minus four um, on the road against the, you know the Lions. I think the Lions have been getting a lot of steam this offseason, but um, the the Eagles are might have one of the best rosters in the NFL outside of quarterback. And a lot of the things they do well is 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 winning in the trenches. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, the Lions can hold up well, but on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'm not too sure that, you know, a rookie in Aiden Hutchinson and, and Charles Harris with uh, Ali McNeil and Onzerike between them is, is going to really stop Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, um, you know, Siamalu. Like, I, I think the Eagles are just going to run right all, all over them. And then I'll give you guys my favorite play, which is actually a player prop. It's going to be Patrick Mahomes over two and a half passing touchdowns. Mahomes has hit this prop every single week in week one. Mahomes is the greatest quarterback in week one in NFL history. You can go look on my Twitter to, to see that proof. And then finally, the Cardinals, I think defense got worse in the offseason, no Chandler Jones. And they just traded for Trayvon Mullen, who might not even play. So that kind of speaks <laughs> to what they think about their cornerback room. And, you know, again, Andy Reid and Mahomes have had the whole offseason to kind of show what new offense they've put together. And I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to be ready for that, especially since a lot of teams have failed at stopping Mahomes, including us in week one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw this thing about the Cardinals that I guess they're like starting slot corner is on injured reserve because he burned himself in a cooking accident or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, the Raiders, they're, the Cardinals secondary is an absolute disaster. Um, you know, there's talk about them signing Chris Harris, which is uh, how bad it is right now. So, um, <laughs> I think those are good bets. The Lions, I think, are going to be pesky this year, but um, you know, this is a bad matchup for them. I do agree. This is the Eagles' offensive line is so so good, and they're going to be able to yeah. just run the ball against anybody. So, uh, sound bets, like Arjun said, bet responsibly. Uh, don't blame him or us if you lose those bets. I think this is a sound process over results for sure. Um, Arjun, any final thoughts on the on the matchup against the the Raiders, man? Before we let you go, yeah, final thoughts. I think I think people thought I was like all doom and gloom after the JC news, but I do still think the Chargers will win. Um, I just think it's going to be a much closer game than anticipated. I think the Chargers' offense kind of lights the defense on fire, and I just have a lot of questions about what the defense is going to look like without JC Jackson. But really excited to see this offense back in action. You know, we've been kind of on the Justin Herbert hype train all off season and we've heard too many people kind of doubt him or, or back him up. So I just want, I just want the chargers to come back and, and, you know, regardless of how sweaty or, or how anxious <laughs> it's going to make me uh, it, it is, you know, the highlight of every year for me, just watching them play. So really excited for them to be back and excited to get this dub. 
Yeah, man. Justin Herbert is going to do filthy things to the secondary on Sunday. So obviously not potentially not having JC is a concern. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, but overall, I think that you feel great about the offense and uh, we'll see what happens, you know, with Josh McDaniels versus Brandon Staley. Super interesting coaching matchup. So uh, Arjun, appreciate the time, man. Appreciate the uh, presentation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation. We'll be going live on Saturday morning for our weekly Q&A. And that's where uh, the rest of us will be giving our certain picks for the league, as well as our score predictions for the game. And then again, you know, taking your questions there. Uh, and we will have, uh, obviously, final updates on uh, injury status. We'll talk about all of that. So uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in. That's going to do it for the first live show of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. We'll be back in two weeks as the Chargers prepare for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Be sure to turn in, tune in for Arjun's uh, pre-recorded episode next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, that's going to do it. Bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.